I went to a worship conference in Colorado, and they led the whole time and blew my mind. First time I heard that song, I just like came unglued at the scene. Especially when we get to the nearness of you, it's my only good. I just was like into the floor. It was awesome. So the book of Ephesus, Ephesians. <laughs> right? Okay. Get out your Bibles or your, you know, your iPads and your iPods, your phones. I I will just randomly start speaking in another accent that just happens. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know why that happens. It just does. Oh. All right. Well, thank you, Jesus. I love you. All right. The book of Ephesians, obviously written to the church in Ephesus. If you would, if you were Greek and you pronounce it, we call it, you know, you know but they, they, they would pronounce it Ephesus. That's how they would pronounce it. I think it's cool sounding. Ephesus. So, um, that's, you know, that's the name of the city. It was the most wealthy and beautiful city in Asia. Uh, that was a part of the, at least it was a part of the Roman Empire. So, um, that's kind of what we're dealing with. It was known all over the world for its primary temple. The god, the primary goddess of Ephesus was Diana, who was the mother goddess. She was, uh, she was loved there. In fact, there was a whole riot that was started while Paul was first in Ephesus, and it was all about, you know, the, all these people are turning to this Jesus guy, and this, some of the people that were making the idols of Diana got really ticked off at Paul because all you know, their sales went way down because everybody's getting saved. And so they caused this whole riot over the, the fact that, yeah, people weren't buying the idols anymore, which is pretty awesome. Can you imagine what it would be like if revival so hit the city of Fort Wayne or whatever city you're from that, like, the like the strip club started rioting because no one's going there anymore and the, and like the bars and the like gambling establishments whatever we're getting really mad and like bringing law cases against us because you took all of our customers and we'd be like ha ha <laughs> sorry not the way it is or the hospitals went out of business because no one was sick can you imagine wouldn't that be unbelievable I would love it yes Lord bring it so um. That's actually happened in cities in the earth before, where the hospitals got completely cleaned out and ended up closing because there was so much healing flowing through the church in that particular region. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be awesome? The city that, the city that um, if you've ever, the guy that I might talk about a little bit at some point along the way, and his name just went right out of my brain. Uh, It'll come to me later. But anyway, he was a powerful minister in healing. Saw crazy, crazy miracles. Had faith off the charts for healing. And in the city where he is, his primary ministry was located is in South Africa. And, and, and there was something like a 30 or 35 mile radius around their church where no one was in. Because they had that kind of breakthrough for healing. And uh, people would stream from all over Africa to this place to be healed by God. So, um, man, what is his name? 
there's a big textbook of his sermons that you can get that's all about faith and hope. Oh man, it's just going to drive me nuts until I figure that out. <sighs> it's going to drive me nuts. Okay, anyway, well, let's just keep moving. Maybe Jerry will find that for me. But she had this gigantic temple. Diana had this gigantic temple, and, and uh, everyone worshipped her, and it was awesome. Some people think that there was a lot of temple prostitution going on around the temple, although the more research I have done, the more that's kind of shaky. So we don't know if that's actually true or not. But the point is, it was a demonic deity that was being worshipped by the people of Ephesus, and, and Jesus was after taking those people back to himself. And the Apostle Paul spent several years in that city, um, ministering to the region and planting the church really well, and he had a school out of there, and it was a really great place of, of powerful ministry. Paul didn't spend years in places, really. I mean, most of the places he went, he would only spend a very short amount of time. Some of the places he went, he would only spend like eight weeks. And he would come in, he would be there for eight weeks, he would plant a church and then leave eight-week-old Christians Right? I mean, come on, that is crazy. Sometimes he would bring in a leader from somewhere else to kind of step in, and then he would go. But, you know, he would just stay in a place as long as the Holy Spirit had him there, and then he would just go off to the next town. And Paul would, he aimed at big cities, because he knew that it was in the cities that culture was created, not in the country. It's in the city that culture is created. And also that's where a lot of more people are. You can preach in a field, but if there's no, you know, Unless somebody happens to be plowing the field, they're not going to hear the gospel. Or you can go to the city and you can preach and watch God do awesome stuff. And unfortunately, in the United States, Christians tend to leave cities, not go towards them. And that needs to to change. It's the sick that need a doctor, not the healthy. Amen? Okay. So that's what was happening. Paul was doing that. And that is who this is. Now, the Apostle Paul went away and... uh, John G. Lake, I knew that there was a middle initial in there. John G. Lake, yeah, just crazy stories about healing. He went to some place where there was there was plague going on, and everybody was running like the doctors weren't even sticking around. And and he his ministry team was there ministering to the sick, and none of them were getting sick. Everyone else is sick and dying. He and his team are fine. And these people asked him, like, what? How can you do this? And he goes, let me show you. And he walks over to the corpse of a guy that was dead and t- takes, like, some of the stuff, like, off of his lips, like, leftover vomit or something, like, off his lips, and then puts it under the microscope, like, puts his hand under the microscope. And they, they looked, and they could watch the, the virus, like, die in his hand. Like, they were watching it, like, like, explode. And he said, that's what happens when you walk in the kind of anointing that the word is called a philosophy. <laughs> right? This is why I'm not dying. Is that crazy or what? This guy was nuts. Now, I will say this. He hated the medical profession. Like, he called him crazy pill popper witch doctors and stuff like that. He hated them because he believed that, that in Western society we were putting so much faith in doctors that we had no faith in God. And and so he would, like, people would get sick and he'd be like, don't you dare go to the doctor, which I don't, no, I don't know that that's balanced or good or whatever. But then at the same time, you know, he's raising people from the dead, so what do I have to say? You know, I don't know. But anyway, I would never tell anyone not to go to the doctor if they were sick. I just wouldn't. 
I would pray for them and expect God to heal them, but I would never tell them, hey, stay away from the bathroom. So, all right, let's jump in to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 1. Now, this is how I like to go through, I like to just teach the text line by line, verse by verse. We're just going to bring out each little phrase and kind of talk about what it means, and uh, we'll talk about the original Greek word, etc., that was used there, and what it means in the context of that particular scripture. Context is everything. That's why I'm telling you all about the city of Ephesus. Yeah, I know it's boring, like, you know, I don't care about that. Just talk to me about Jesus. Well, in order to really understand this book, you need to understand who it was written to and who it was written by. Because what we want is what Paul was trying, we want to have in our minds the exact same thing that Paul was trying to communicate to the people he wrote this letter to. We don't want to think, well, Paul wrote it and he meant this, but now it means this. Well, that, no, that's not how you interpret Scripture. What was the original intent of the author? That's what we're after. In order to do that, you have to know what they said before it and after it, and you have to know who they were saying it to. Okay, so context is everything. People love to just like flip open their Bibles, put their finger down and go, look, see, now I can worship lettuce. You know, I don't, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know. I mean, there's got to be a verse somewhere that if it's taken by itself, you could like extrapolate to worshiping lettuce. I mean, who knows? That's what I'm saying. It's like the guy that flipped open his Bible and put his finger down and it said, and Judas hung himself. And then he closed his Bible again and opened it and he put his finger down and said, go thee and do likewise. Right. Okay. So um, that's not good. Right. <laughs> It was a joke, guys. It didn't really happen. Okay? <laughs> you guys go, why are you laughing about a man who killed himself? <laughs> it didn't really happen. Okay? But <clears throat> those are both verses when taken out of context. You can automatically say, well, then obviously I should hate myself. No. No, you shouldn't. You shouldn't worship lettuce either. And I don't know why I'm stuck on worshiping lettuce. Don't worry about me. <laughs> there must be people... It's this. <laughs> Look, it's a burning bush. <laughs> no, no, no. We're not going to go there. We're going to worship lettuce. Oh, that'd be interesting worship songs. Oh, I swear. Okay. All right. Paul. An apostle of Christ, okay, so verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, his name is Paul, we obviously know that, but that wasn't always his name. His name was Saul at one point, named after the, the King Saul, the original, you know, the king before David, the very first king of Israel. And that was his name, and then God came and changed his life and then sent him as a missionary to Greek people. And Greek people didn't have anyone around them named Saul. In fact, they found it difficult to pronounce his name. So he changed it to Paul because that was the name that existed in the Greek. Paulos was the name that existed for Greek people. That's why we call him Apostle Paul, which wasn't originally his name. And this wasn't even a situation where, uh, you know, when Jesus showed up to him, Jesus didn't say, I now call you Paul, which happened with Peter. His name was Simon. And Jesus looked at him and said, I call you Peter, and that was his name for the rest of his life, okay? And God does that to a lot of people, but that's not what happened with the Apostle Paul. 
his name was Saul. He just changed his name so it would be easier for Greek people to call him by his name. Yeah, that's important. It is important. All this stuff is important. So, he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. The word apostle means sent with delegated authority. That's what it means. Sent one. Apostolos is the original Greek word. It says sent with delegated authority. And it's the apostle is one of the fivefold ministry gifts. Do you guys know what they are? Everyone know what the fivefold ministry gifts are? No, that those are spiritual gifts and they're awesome. But there are five specific gifts that Christ gave to the church that are the leadership gifts of the body of Christ. Apostle is one. No. What you say? Okay, you have apostle, pastor, teacher, evangelist, prophet. Yes, those are the five. And anybody that is in like uh, full-time ministry, like that's their job, will probably fit in one of those five categories. Personally, I'm kind of prophet teacher. Those are my gifts. And so, um, in the here at First Assembly, I am discipleship pastor, but I'm also the pastor of the Listen Quadrant, and you guys don't know all about this whole thing, but um, we split up what we do as a church into four quadrants, okay? The, and and the, it's the acronym LIFT. You guys have seen at the front, on the front of our pulpit, it says Lifting People Through the Power of the Cross. So we call ourselves Lifters. That's the name that we use for everybody that goes for assembly. And Lifters lift. They listen, they integrate, they flourish, and they tell. So we listen to the voice of God through prayer and worship. We integrate with one another. That's kind of small groups and community. We flourish as we study the word of God and become more like Jesus every day. And we tell people the story of the good news of Jesus Christ. Lift, L-I-F-T. I am the listen quadrant pastor. So that's, that's worship and preaching and prayer. And so that's kind of the prophetic side of my job and a little bit of the teaching. But then I'm also in the flourish quadrant, which is, all about teaching the Bible, which is what I'm doing right now. So that's kind of where I land is on prophet, teacher, and I'm not really much of much of a pastor. I'm not. I don't feel bad about saying that. My dad always tells me, which my dad is Pastor Ron. I don't know if you guys know that or not, but that's that's my dad. Yes, <laughs> my dad's Pastor Ron. And uh, and <laughs> shut up. <laughs> no, that's my that's my padre. So um, and he always says to me. He always says to me, uh, don't tell people you're not a pastor. But the truth is I'm not. I mean, I know that's my title, right? But I don't really have the pastoral gift like he does. He's like Pastor Capital P, like Mr. Shepherd, like wants to take care of everybody. And I'm like, and I'm I'm more prophet Capital P where I'm like, suck it up and get over it. You made a stupid mistake, now stand up, right? Okay, so that's for me. You know, I'm going to teach you what not to do before, and then when you don't do it, I'm going to yell at you because you're an idiot. Okay, that's 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 teacher prophet. That's how I'm I'm kidding, kind of. <laughs> no, I'm probably not going to yell at you and call you an idiot, but in my mind, that's what I'm thinking. They're stupid. Okay. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Apostle. Okay, so it goes like this, apostle, prophet, um, te uh, pastor, teacher, evangelist. That is the order, I think. Although I might have I might have mixed up pastor and teacher. What? Can be like an example? No. 
but that's the order it's given in Scripture, and I think it is given in that order for a reason. But we're not going to go there because that's in chapter four of this book, and we'll spend a lot of time talking about it then. If we ever get there. Who knows? We're on the fourth word of verse one, and it's 221. So, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Let's let's we try to cover we, we go we go as we go as quickly or as slowly as it, as we go. If and when we finish the book of Ephesians, then if and when hey, we got all the way through Colossians last year. We only had like two weeks at the end, but anyway. We rushed through it we really did. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, we'll try and do more than one book, but we may not. I promise it won't be boring. I absolutely promise you. But, um, but it, it's, it's, we may not get, we may not get to a second book. We're just going to go deep. Colossians, we spent a lot of time in Colossians. We had a great time, didn't we, guys? And the year before that, we did Romans, and we skipped the whole last half of Romans so that we could move on to another book. So, No, see, we did Song of Solomon last year. We spent several weeks in Song of Solomon last year. Right. Or, or we may all die before. Um, and that's okay. You know, I. the truth is we're going to be studying God's Word forever, and so we may spend a billion years in Ephesians, when, you know, in the future. So, you never know. I mean, really, truly, I'm not joking. We may, we may spend a billion years of Jesus teaching us the book of Ephesians. That would be great, wouldn't it? I mean, come on. Because every word, I believe that every word in Scripture has like a library of knowledge built in it. And so, um, I want to unlock some of that for us. Uh, for me and for you. So he's an apostle, which means he's sent with delegated authority. And he says, I'm, I'm, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, you need to understand something. This is the only way you become an apostle. Apostle is not like the top of a ladder that we all need to be climbing. You know what I mean? It's not like, you know, I'm going to work really hard, and then I'll be a preacher. I'll be a prophet for a while. And then after I'm a prophet, and I've done that for five years, then I'll become apostle. No, that's not how this works. Apostle is an assignment from God. It's, it's God saying to this, this is who you are. And usually it matches their giftedness. Okay? So Jesus gives you the gifts to do the assignment that he's given you to do. So that means a couple things. One, we're not working toward becoming an apostle. You either are an apostle because God's called you to be, or you are not. And none of us should be like saying, boy, I really hope I get to be an apostle someday. That's not how it is. Okay? We need to do is say, I want to do whatever Jesus gives me to do, and I want to do it with all of my energy, and I want to give all of my love and all of my care into it. Because the truth is, whatever Jesus gives you to do is going to bring you the most joy. You see, we're all his kids. There's no hierarchy of like, well, I'm, I'm more important than you. That's, that's just bullcrap. Don't listen to that. That's the enemy. And that's how the world sets things up, but that is not how God sets up the kingdom. Okay? Now, there's um, I think you guys are going to read Undercover this year, right? There's a thing where, okay, where we submit to the authority that God has established, 
okay? But that's not about, like, you being better than somebody else or them being better than you or whatever. It's just about playing the role God's given you to play. The Apostle Paul says, I'm an apostle by the will of God. I didn't choose this. I didn't earn it. It's a gift, and God gave it to me. You can't earn it. It's not a measure of how far you've advanced. We can't think of the gifts and callings of God and the kingdom as a hierarchy because that doesn't make any sense. We're a, we're a body. The only person who has authority over all of us is Christ. Okay? Now, that there are earthly authority structures that we're supposed to submit to, and that's fine and that's great. But the truth is, um, I, one of the first things that my dad said to me when I became youth pastor was, these kids are not your kids. These kids are Jesus' kids, and you need to teach, treat them that way. They're, he is just letting you take care of them for a season. They, are, they belong to him. So give them back to him. They belong to him. And that, that really meant something to me because that's the truth. We have these authority, We have people put in places of authority because God's put them there. But that doesn't mean that they are closer to God than you or more holy than you. It doesn't mean that they have a higher calling than you. It just means they have a different assignment than you, assignment than you do. That's how it works. This isn't the way that the God's kingdom is set up. Jesus is the only king. Different assignments, the same master. Okay? So the higher we go, Jesus said, the more of a servant we become. Authority in the kingdom is about pouring out your life to make opportunity for others to fulfill their destiny. So when the Apostle Paul says, I'm an apostle, it don't, it's not him bragging. It's him just saying, this is my assignment, and that's why I'm writing this letter. Okay. Then he says, uh, okay, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus. Okay. The word saint there is the Greek word hagios, which means holy. To the holy ones. Now, that's kind of cool. How many of you in here actually feel like, you walk around every day feeling like, I'm a holy one? Nobody. That's good because you're not. You suck. But anyway, um, <laughs> I mean, it's true though, right? I mean, it's true of me. So, But that's not how God looks at us. He says, you're my holy ones. He calls us his holy ones. That's who we are. Is that crazy or what? That God would look at you and say, "That look, there's my holy one. Excuse me? Did you see me yesterday, Jesus? Did you see what I said in my head when that guy told me to do this or when he cut me off in traffic or when, you know, when, when you know, we're, here we are in, uh, you know, living together in these apartments and, and so-and-so is just getting on my nerves and I'm going to kill them. You know, I didn't feel holy when I said that. <laughs> I didn't feel holy when that happened. And the Lord's looking at us saying, no, 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 you're holy. You're holy because I've made you holy. You're holy because I've set you apart unto myself. There's this whole idea of consecration. Can somebody give me a working definition of consecration? Anyone? I just gave it to you. Consecration. It's a great word. Everybody say it with me. Consecration. Okay, it means to be set apart. Okay, uh, one of the ways I like to communicate this idea 
okay, is when I go to a restaurant and you're good and uh, no worries, it's all right. When I go to a restaurant and I get, you know, something really good and I don't finish it all and I'm thinking that night, you know, like, I can't wait till tomorrow when I eat this for leftovers, right? Okay. If I put it in our refrigerator at home, I have to write my name on the, on the container. Okay. Because if I don't, my 13-year-old son will come and devour it <laughs> within 0.5 seconds. It will happen. Like any time I come in the house, he's going, did you go somewhere again? <laughs> I don't care. It's always the truth, okay? And so I have to write my name on it. I set it apart as only mine. I am consecrating these leftovers for only me. Okay? They are for my use only, and anyone else that touches them, I will burn you to the ground. Okay? So that's, that's, how, that's what consecration is, and that's how it works. It's God writing his name on you and saying, you belong only to me. That's what it means. And when he says, you're holy, that's what he's saying. You're mine. Nothing of you belongs to anyone but myself. That's why it says that God's a jealous God. Okay? When it says that, I heard a story that Oprah Winfrey went into a church and she heard a, a preacher preaching and and the preacher said, because he's a jealous God. And Oprah said, if he's jealous of me, I'm not going to serve him. So she walked out and she has no faith. Yeah, right? She totally didn't understand it. That is not what it means. <laughs> okay? When someone says he's a jealous God, I want you to think of it this way. You know, I am a married man, okay? If some guy came around and was flirting with my wife and then actually, like, took her hand and started walking away from me with her, would I be a good husband if I was just like, oh, there they go. <laughs> Have fun. Would that make me a good husband? No way. No way. I'm a jealous husband. <laughs> Excuse me? You think you have the privilege of speaking with my wife? I don't think so, buddy. She belongs to me. She's got the ring on the finger, and that's the way it is. You don't get to talk to her unless you talk to me, right? Because that's, 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 that's how God feels about you says, no, Satan, you don't get to touch my precious one. And anything that's taking your attention, your love, your affection away from him, he is not okay with. You belong to him 100%. That is the truth. You are his. He bought you with his blood. And he owns you. You belong to him. And everything inside of you belongs to him. And he won't tolerate anything inside of you going or being given away to someone else. Because you're his. And that's right and good. But he's not jealous of you. He's jealous for you. He's mine. And when he says you're holy, that's what he's saying. You've been set apart unto me. It doesn't mean you got it all figured out. It just means that you belong to him. It's good news. Amen? So, uh, uh, da, da, da. the saints who are to Ephesus, faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, I looked this up, and, and this particular word faithful does not mean that they have given faithful service like they keep they show up every Sunday that's the ones we're writing to that's not what it means that's great they should show up every Sunday but that's not that's not what this means it just it means literally they're full of faith they're believers in Christ Jesus they have faith living on the inside of them and that is who 
this letter is written to, those at Ephesus who are the chosen ones of God and who have faith filling their hearts. That's who this is written to. And so that's awesome. Okay, verse 2. Hey, we made it to verse 2, guys. Isn't that great? That's awesome. Okay. <laughs> All of you first-year people, I, I'm just really wondering what's going through your head about me right now. I really am. <laughs> you just ate. You just ate. He's a blessed man. He's a blessed man. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's bald. Is it a red beard? If it's not a ginger beard, I have no respect for him. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. We will talk about gingerness and ginger racism at some point in the future. Ginger discrimination is is a big deal. Okay. See right there? Right there? That is a racist comment. I cannot believe that you just said that. I am deeply offended. She said, why are gingers angry all the time? Well, maybe they're not all angry all the time, you know? Maybe that's not who we all are. Maybe maybe we're more than two-dimensional. We're more than our temper. If you were constantly being, you know, think about every movie you've ever seen, okay? The ginger person in it is either a nerd or the evil person. <laughs> One example. And, but the whole movie, she's being made fun of for her red hair. So I can't. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. Somebody said, but her hair is as orange as carrots. And, she's, and surely one of our heroes, you know, as gingers, and, you know, and, and, and you're trying to say she wasn't, uh, she wasn't, you know, persecuted for her red hair. She was persecuted for her red hair to the point where she actually bought hair stuff and tried to make her hair a different color and ended up turning it green. I mean, that, that is, she was persecuted for her red hair. She was. Are you making fun of Anne? Of Anne Shirley? She did. It's not funny. It was a result of racism. It was. Just the truth. Think about it. Think about it. Every every movie you've ever seen, they're either this horse. It's true, isn't it? Think about it. Even then. Sometimes they're. And usually overweight. Usually. The only redheads that are allowed to be attractive are female redheads. Male redheads are always, are, are not allowed to be. I'm just talking about pop culture. One ginger squeaks through, and it's just based on his incredible voice. Anyway, we're going to back up now. Verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Christ Jesus. Okay, so grace, and, grace to you and peace. You're going to find, as you read the letters of Paul, that he says grace and peace to you a lot. And the reason he does is because he's ministering to both Jewish people and Greek people. Grace was more of a Greek uh, uh, greeting, 
and shalom, or peace, was a Hebrew greeting. And so he is trying to minister to both by saying grace and peace, because that's what they would want to hear. So does that make sense? That's always in Paul's mind. Always in Paul's mind is the people that he's reaching out to. Um, so he puts the two together in one greeting. That becomes his regular greeting, grace and peace. Okay? Um, from God our Father. Thank, I'm so excited that he's our Father. And I spent a, a lot of time studying the Father heart of God for, the, for that week in Mexico. And, uh, and I, we may delve pretty deep on God being our Father at another time, but it's a big deal. It's going to be really it's gonna, it's really good. Um, Jesus is his earthly name, which means uh, uh, the angel told Joseph, you know, call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means God's uh, Yahweh saves. That's what the name means. And it's actually the exact same Hebrew name as Joshua, Moses' uh, assistant, that fought uh, the battle of Jericho. It's the same name, and uh, the same name as, as my name. So, taken from the Hebrew right to English, we say Joshua. Taken from the Hebrew to the Greek is Jesus, and then from Greek to English is Jesus, and that's why we call him that. That's why it always makes me laugh when we're like, Jesus, there's just something about that name. And we're like, that wasn't even his name. Um, his name was Josh. So. <laughs> it's true. His name was Yeshua. His name was Joshua. Yeah. I just, I just explained all this like 30 seconds ago. It's not my fault if you guys weren't listening. Yeah, because that's his name. Yeshua. Yeshua in Greek is Jesus. And Greek Jesus in English is Jesus. The Greek for Jesus is I-E-S-U-S, which is weird. But I call it, I do sometimes pray to him as Yeshua. I do sometimes. Well, but, okay, so Jesus is his is his earthly name. Christ is his title. means Messiah. It means anointed one. Okay? Which is a... All, Hebrew words are always pictures, like word pictures. It's a very kind of visual language. And it's a picture of someone taking olive oil and just rubbing it on their head. That's what, it, that's what Messiah means, Mashiach. It means to, to smear olive oil on someone, anoint them. And, and that's what the word Christ means also, Christus in, in Greek. And so that's his title. That's who he is. It's not his name. Christ is not Jesus' name. It's like doctor or king. It's it's a title. Jesus, the Christ, he is the Messiah. And then our Lord, the Greek is uh, Kyrios, which is like Lord, which is like master, Lord. But it's a replacement for the Jewish word Adonai, which is the word that they would use to replace any time you know, they weren't allowed to say the name Yahweh, okay? They considered it too holy to speak out loud more than once a year. In fact, it was so holy that when they were going to write it, they would go and they would change their clothes and they would make a new, like, quill, and then they would write the name Yahweh, and then they would break that pen and they would go put other, their clothes back. That's how holy they, they felt the name of God was. Now, because of that, we don't know for sure how it was pronounced. Because Hebrew doesn't have any vowels. So 
YHVH is is this is or YHWH is like <laughs> you know we don't really know what it actually how it was we just guessed it's Yahweh but it could have been something completely different we don't know because we they only pronounced it once a year and and so we don't we don't know how it's pronounced. I did. No, I don't think God gets annoyed because a lot of people say, a lot of people say say Jehovah, which is way off. They didn't even have the j j j sound in Hebrew at all, so it's not Jehovah. It's uh, the closest. It's it's Y H W H. We don't know how it's pronounced, but Jehovah. <laughs> it's not. It's it's pronounced Yahweh. That's the correct pronunciation. Yahweh is, is is as close as we can get to the correct pronunciation of the name of God, which means I am that I am. That's Yahweh. It means I am. And Jehovah is an English Englishizing the word Yahweh. I just blow everybody's minds with the stupid pronunciation crap. But the point is, when he says Jesus Christ our Lord, he's saying Jesus, the Messiah, who is God. That's what they're saying. That's what Paul is saying about Jesus in this passage. And I know you guys know that he's God, but there's still there's something so powerful in that. The Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost says, Jesus, not only the Christ, he is the Lord. And we just like read it like, duh. But Peter was standing up in front of all these Jewish people saying Jesus is God. He should have been stoned to death. I mean, that's what should have happened. Because that was blasphemy in their ears, but he was speaking the truth, and it's the first time that that that, that was really proclaimed to the masses that Jesus is God. But it's important for us to understand that and know it. Verse three. Wow, we're just plowing along. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Let me ask you. Okay, what? Well, why is it an issue that we go slowly? Yeah. I think it's awesome, but like, no, it's okay. No, I'm not mad. I, no, you haven't. You haven't offended me in any way, shape, or form. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm sorry I put you on the spot. Actually, not really, but um, <laughs> I like embarrassing people. It's one of the fun parts of life. Okay. So, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, look, Paul, the Apostle Paul was a worshiper. That's who he was. And you're going to see, in fact, this next whole section of Scripture um, that we're going to be in today and probably next week and maybe the week after that. It's all, it's all the way through verse 13 or something. Okay? And, and uh, this whole section of Scripture is really just the Apostle Paul worshiping for a minute. Like, he goes to say something he wants to say, but then he just goes off on this tangent of, he's this and he's that and he's so awesome and he's so proud, I love Jesus so much. And then he comes back and goes, anyway, back to what I was talking about. He does that over and over again in his letters, over and over and over again. And some of the most powerful parts of Scripture are just Paul just getting happy about Jesus for a minute in prison. Paul dictated all of his letters. He didn't write them himself because he had eye problems, he couldn't see very well. And so the Apostle Paul would dictate all of his letters. So they, they have the kind of flow of spoken language because that's what he was doing. He's sitting in, you know, most of the time it was a prison cell, 
He's sitting in, you know, prison, and he's got some guy outside with, with pen and ink, and he's just talking about Jesus, and then the guy will be like, like, oh, yeah, what was I saying? Okay, this, and then I'll go back. And and I love that about, yes, oh, God. <laughs> he's picking up Every time I every time I say that to Paul Dixon in his letters, I always think of that part from Monty Python, the Holy Grail. Which is, the castle, uh, the castle, uh, and he's like, oh, he must have died while carving it. And the guy says, he wouldn't have carved, uh, he would have just said it. And the guy in the back of the group goes, perhaps he was dictating. He's like, oh, shut up. <laughs> anyway. Dude, Monty Python and Holy Grail, you should... <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. There's, there's only there's, there's only one horse in the entire film, and it's and it's the guy that rides through and kills the the historian. The rest of the film is just a a guy walking behind him, just going. Fact, people know that I love this film, and somebody gave me coconuts, so I have them in my office, so that I could. So I gave them to my intern and said, come, Pepsi. And so we went through the office like that. It was Aaron, so I could make him do that. <laughs> and then I got mad at him because he couldn't, like, clap them together the right way. And I was like, give me those. <laughs> I can do it. I know how to do it. My favorite parts of the movie are when the horses, like, react, like, like something scary happens to the horses are like click 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 <laughs> and then they're and they're like and they're like oh, we should go the rest of the way on foot so they get off their fake horses they're like non-existent horses dismount and then it's so stupid I love that movie anyway <laughs> where did you get the coconut? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Paul loved God, and he just he would go off on these tangents, and that was awesome. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Now, how many of your Bibles actually have the word places in there? This is verse 3. Heavenly realms. Okay. That's realms, places. That word is not there in the original Greek. It's just kind of like guessed at, because it just says in the heavenlies in Christ. So it, it, anyway, it's interesting. I don't know why I mentioned that, but there you go. So this begins, this phrase begins this whole next portion of Scripture, where Paul begins to lay out the blessings that have, we have been blessed with in Christ Jesus. And it's this unbelievable, gorgeous moment uh, in Scripture, and we're going to have some fun kind of going through them. I mean, I'll list them off for you here in a second, but understand what this word blessed means. It's a, it's, it's a verbal word. It means, it means that blessing um, has been spoken over. Divine destiny has been spoken over us in Christ Jesus. And it says every heavenly blessing has been spoken over. In other words, there's the same voice that spoke, let there be light, has spoken prophetic destiny over you that cannot be taken away. Because you belong to Christ Jesus, that's true. And not just a little bit of blessing, but all of them. Every blessing that God could speak, he has spoken over you because you're in Christ Jesus. Just think about that for a second. How creative is God and how many blessings could he come up with? 
The answer is that every blessing that he can that God could imagine has been spoken over you. That's kind of crazy. It's kind of nuts if you think about it for just five seconds. Uh, we have I have this phrase I like to use that'll make your nose bleed. Okay, and that's because. There are so many things about God that are so beyond our human comprehension that if we try and think about them for very long, your brain will just melt into a pool of ooze and, like, come out your nose. I mean, that's just the truth, okay? So I say that'll make your nose bleed. I'll say that quite a bit, you know, especially as we get into talking about uh, about the, the, the calling of the church, which is really what the first half of this book is all about. There is stuff in this book that will melt your brain. I mean, it just will if you think about it long enough. And one of the one of my favorite things to kind of just just throw out there that instantly makes your nose bleed is God has no beginning. If you just take a whiff of that truth and just go, ow, right? Okay, because it's it's not God. God has no beginning. When you begin to think about that for even just a second, and it's like. Wait a minute, I don't know anything that has had a beginning. I, I don't get that. What do you mean God has no beginning? He has always been, There was never a time when, I did, ah, ow, okay? There was another Monty Python sketch of these guys that were idiots, and they would walk around and they would say, my brain hurts. But anyway, uh, you guys wouldn't know about that. Right? He's spoken every spiritual blessing over us. There isn't one left to speak. Every possible blessing available from the throne of the Creator God has been spoken over you as you dwell in Christ Jesus. Oh, come on now. Somebody get excited right now. This is awesome. Now, here's the, here's the blessings that he lists in the next, uh, like, ten verses, okay? I'm just going to give them to you, and then we'll walk through them, okay? Okay. Uh, you are chosen to be made holy and blameless. That's the first one. I'll try and go slow enough that you can write that. You're adopted. Um, you've had his grace lavished on you. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. Those aren't the same thing. You had the mystery of his will revealed to you. Love you. Woo! We're in Ephesians chapter 1. It's, it's pretty heavy, got to say. You've obtained an inheritance. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And you've been made to the praise of his glory and grace. Now, each one of those has an entire library dedicated to it in heaven. So we're going to spend just a little bit of time with this. And it's going to be good. We only have eight minutes left. So. And then we'll get, you know, I'm going to stop there. Because verse 4 starts us down a whole other track. Chosen before the foundation of the world. Ah, there's a whole lot to say about that. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to stop there. Any questions at this moment in time? Questions, comments? Yes. That's more ginger racism. How red do I have to be to be red? 
<laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm Calico. What can I say? I'm Calico. No, I I don't know. I don't know. That's there is like a genetic thing that has like you know like red beard like. Plus my the hair on my head was a lot redder when I was a kid than it is now. Although it was never as red as my children. If any of you have met my my children. Um, well, that too, depending on what time of year it is. Um, but yeah, my children are true gingers in every sense of the word, who have quite red hair. So, anything else from anyone? Nine? Yeah, go ahead. Oh boy, my favorite is ESV. We will mostly be reading New American Standard in here because I use that to study because it's easier for me. Um, and I've, I've been working with New American Standard for longer than I have ESV, but I actually like ESV better. But honestly, just read a version you can understand. That's what I usually do. I was going to ask you, Which is actually probably closer to the original translation. <laughs> That's right. We just all need to read it in the original Greek. All right, everyone. God bless you. I hope you had a good time, and I will see you next week. Thanks.